Hello, friends. This is Shlomo Buxbaum. Welcome back to the Empowered Jewish Living Podcast. I am so excited, so thankful, so grateful that you are here with us. This is a special episode. Every episode is a special episode, but this episode is part two of a brand new monthly series that we do right here on the podcast called The Energy of the Jewish Months. So the calendar date today, it is November 1st, 2021, when we are recording this. And it is a couple of days before the beginning of a new Hebrew month called Kislev. This Friday is going to be Rosh Chodesh, the beginning of the month of Kislev. This is the Jewish month that Hanukkah falls out in. Now, Hanukkah is towards the end of the month, so we still have a little bit, a little while until Hanukkah hits us, but it's coming up. So it's holiday season. Get your menorahs out. It is Hanukkah time. And that means that the month of Kislev is going to be imbued with the power of Hanukkah and many of the themes that Hanukkah has, we will find in the month of Kislev. So if you are just joining us for the first time, if you didn't hear last month's class, which was on the month of Cheshvan, you may want to go back and just listen to the first couple of minutes where we explain what we do in this series, what this series is about, the energy of the Jewish months. But in a nutshell, just as a review for all of our returning listeners, or if you don't want to go back and listen to last month's, this is a class about tapping into the power of the month and how it relates to what we can be spiritually tapping into and what we should be spiritually working on during this time of year. Um, we try not to focus too much in this class about the astrology and how it relates necessarily to a person who was born in this month, personality types. Um, there's so much written about that that isn't necessarily the focus of this series, but the focus of the series is for every single one of us today, moving forward into this next month, what we can be thinking about, what we can be working on based on many factors. Um, some of the factors that we are going to look at is what well, we are going to look obviously at the astrological sign of the month and how it may play into our uh, life in the next month, in the next, you know, the, the, the next segment of time that we're in. But we also try to analyze the name, the deeper meaning behind the name of the months. We know that the name of the months are very, they have a lot of symbolism just in how we break down and analyze the name. Every single month corresponds to a tribe, 12 months for the 12 tribes. We want to look in the Torah to see what Torah occurrences happened during this month. Remember, that the Torah is the blueprint of creation. So the events that are in the Torah are going to relate very much to the energy of the time and what we need to be working on during this time as well. So we'll look at all of these things, the element of the month, and then often we'll bring in some other aspects of the month. Each month has a specific Hebrew letter that's assigned to it, a human attribute, and many other factors. And our goal during this class over the course of this series is to try to look at all of these different things and find the common theme. If I look at the name and I look at the tribe and I look at the Torah occurrence and I look at the zodiac sign and I look at the letter and I look at whatever holidays may be coming up and I try to, to find what is the common thread, how can I fuse this into one message, one lesson, one intention, one kavana, one 
area that I should focus my life? What would that be? How would that look? And then from that, we want to look at ourselves, our own life, our own situation right now, what we're going through, and try to apply that uh, to ourselves and really make it meaningful. The class shouldn't just be um, mystical and esoteric, but it should be very real and it should be very, very practical. That's the goal of, of every podcast, and that is certainly the goal of what we're trying to do when we tap in to the energy of the Jewish month. So again, this is the month of Kislev. I hope that you enjoyed this class and that together we can really unpack and delve in to the deeper energy of the month of Kislev. This is the Empowered Jewish Living Podcast, where we explore the beauty of Judaism, the depth of Jewish wisdom, and how to live a more empowered life. So at first glance, when we take a look at this month of Kislev, a couple of things certainly uh, capture our attention. Number one, uh, the, the astrological sign of the month of Kislev is Sagittarius, or the bow, as in like the weapon, the bow and arrow, right? Think you know, Robin Hood. So we see the month of Kislev being represented by a weapon, and that might uh, raise certain um, assumptions as to what the month is all about. And then we take a look at the name. What is the name Kislev? So there are a couple of different possibilities where Kislev comes from, but the word in the Torah, in Tanakh, actually in the book of Eov, where we see a word most similar to Kislev is the verse Imsamti Zahav Kisli. It's actually a rhetorical question. Did I put all of my trust, did I put all of my confidence in my money? Right? He's asking about his wealth. Like, is that, did, did I think that I was all that just because I was wealthy? So the word Kisli is like my, my confidence, my, my sense of identity. So the word Kislev, if it comes from the word Kisli, as in we find it in Eov, it would mean like a sense of self, confidence, identity. And working together with the idea that Kislev represents the bow, you're thinking a weapon, you're thinking Robin Hood, right? So we're, we're getting a sense that Kislev is somewhat of a month of confidence, a month of moving forward. Um, interesting, as we continue on, we see that Kislev corresponds in terms of the tribe that it's connected to. It's connected to the tribe of Benjamin, Binyamin. Uh, Benjamin was Yaakov, was Jacob's youngest son. And um, we, we don't hear as much about him in the Torah because he was much younger. And a lot of the action that happens between Joseph and Judah and the other brothers, um, Binyamin seems to be younger and not always uh, given as much uh, attention from the Torah as some of the other brothers are. Uh, but according to the Medrash, which does speak about the tribe of Binyamin, tribally, the tribe that came from Binyamin, we do also see a little bit of a, of a hint of this sort of confidence, bravery, courage on the tribe of Binyamin, because according to some of the Midrashic commentaries, when the Jewish people stood at the sea, after they um, left Egypt and they're getting ready, they're, they're fleeing from the Egyptians at this point, and they come up to the Amps of the Sea of Reeds. And uh, the sea, we know the famous story, the sea splits for them, but it's, there's a lot of discussion in the Midrash how it played out and who were the first to enter into the sea and really risk their lives. 
And according to some opinions in the Midrash, it was actually the tribe of Binyamin. So we're already seeing, at least gaining a picture of what this month is about. Uh, it's the, t- the term Kislev is Kisli, it's confidence, it's the bow and arrow. The tribe of Benjamin is the tribe that jumps in to the sea first. So we're getting the sense of a month that's full of bravery and full of confidence. And this actually works really well with the fact that Hanukkah is this month. And we know that Hanukkah represents a true story of bravery and courage in the Maccabees, the Hashmonaim, who defended the, the Jewish people, the sanctity of the temple during the time, during the Hanukkah story. You know, I mean, Maccabees, they, they, that, that word represents sort of this warriorship, this bravery, and this courage, and this, this selflessness. So we get at least a some picture of what perhaps the month uh, represents in all of these things that really work together beautifully. Confidence, the bow and arrow, the tribe of Benjamin, the Maccabees and the Hanukkah story. So that is the, the initial picture that is painted about the month. Um, however, I think that if we take a look a little bit more mystically, we can go a little bit deeper and go and, and look at, at, at maybe an energy of the month that doesn't necessarily meet the eye at first, but is certainly very, very important and probably very, very relevant. Let's go back once again to the name of the month, the name Kislev. So the mystics point out that if you uh, dissect the word, it's a four-letter Hebrew word, and if you dissect the word into two, so the first two letters, which is a chaf and a samach, which is is, is, is like something that is mechuseh, means that it's covered over. So kiss is can be like a container, a wallet, or a bag is called a kiss, but something that contains something else in it, that covers something over. And the second part of the word, which is the Lamed Vav, has a numerical value. Remember that in mysticism, we also view words by their numeric value, not only by what they mean. And the letters Lamed Vav have the numerical value of 36. So if you broke it up into two words, kiss and lev or Lamed Vav, you would get a covered over 36. Now, what what does that mean? What might that be a reference to, a covered over 36? Now, when we think about the number 36, 36 is a very uh, relevant uh, number to the month of Kislev because, as we mentioned, Hanukkah is coming, right? Hanukkah is coming, and hopefully you have your menorah out. And as you know, when you light the menorah, you light on the first night one, and then the second night two, and three, and then four, and then five, and then six, and then seven, and eight. Now, if you count out what that equals over the course of the entire eight nights, one plus two plus three plus four plus five plus six plus seven plus eight, we get 36. So over the course of the entire Hanukkah, over the eight nights of Hanukkah, we are lighting 36 candles. There are 36 lights of the menorah. So this is very interesting now because Kislev, the name of the month, which is the covered over 36, might be hinting to the lights of the menorah. And why might the lights of the menorah be referred to as the hidden lights? So we'll get back to that in just a moment. But let's discuss purely from a 
kind of mystical perspective, what do these third what do the 36 lights of the menorah represent? Now we know the story, the Hanukkah story, and how the menorah lit stayed lit for eight days, and we, we know the miracle. However, as as we want to advance in our understanding of the depth of mitzvot, we really want to look at a mitzvah from every angle and and really try to extract all of the messages that is contained in the mitzvah. So it is a fair question to ask, what is the significance of this number 36? And that is a discussion that many of the commentaries discuss. And they point out something, something that is beautiful and fascinating. We know that in the beginning of the Torah, the Torah opens up the very first story of mankind is the story of Adam and Chava, Adam and Eve. And before Adam and Eve eat from the Eitz Hadas, the tree of knowledge of good and evil, we know that they're in Gan Eden. They're in the Garden of Eden. And it's a blissful existence. Not only blissful because they have all their needs taken care of, but it's blissful because they are on a level of consciousness where they're extremely close and extremely connected to God. They have the the highest level of God consciousness that any human being can have. Uh, the highest level of what's called das, of intimate knowledge of God, dvekut, connection with God. And that all changes once they eat from the tree of the garden. Now, according to the Midrash that tells over the events of the first day, we are told that Adam and Eve were created uh, towards the, the second half of the day. So the first part of the day was when land animals were created. And Adam and Eve were created towards the second part of the day. So that it was actually the sixth day of creation. It was Friday. And they were created exactly halfway through the day. So since there are 24 hours in the day, they existed in the Garden of Eden for 12 hours on that very first day that they were created. The sages further teach us that they were not asked to leave the Garden of Eden, even though they sinned on Friday, they were not asked to leave. They were not evicted from the Garden of Eden actually until after Shabbat. They were allowed to stay there because we know that Shabbat Shabbos has the power to forgive all sins. You should think about this whenever the sun sets on Friday, that as the week comes to a close, we're given this opportunity to start fresh, to start new. Uh, there's so much, there's such an energy of forgiveness that penetrates our world as we enter into Shabbat. And it's always worth it when you just, when you, when, when after you light the candles or after you go to synagogue or however you bring in Shabbat in your world, in your home, to just take a breath and, and focus on that. Like whatever happened during the week, we're good. Everything is good. We're starting again. So Hashem, God says, Stay, stick around. Let's spend Shabbat together here in the Garden of Eden. And then afterwards you'll leave. A lot of the Havdalah service that we have has different hints to the fact that that was the moment that Adam and Eve were asked to please leave or to please lower themselves, whatever that means mystically. But we know that they had this additional 24 hours. So if you do the math and you add the 12 hours that they existed in the Garden of Eden during that first Friday, add it to the 24 hours that they existed in the Garden of Eden over Shabbat, we get 
36 hours. So that means that the number 36 in Kabbalah is going to represent that initial consciousness, that initial God consciousness that Adam and Eve were allowed to experience for these 36 hours before they left the Garden of Eden. Now that adds a beautiful dimension, a beautiful meditation to as you're lighting the menorah, the 36 lights of the menorah. Because something else that is being represented here by these lights of the menorah is light, we know, isn't just a physical light, but light is enlightenment. Light represents the soul. Light represents higher consciousness. And therefore, as we're lighting the 36 lights of the menorah, we want to think about how we're getting a, a, a little bit of a glimpse into the world of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. We're getting a little bit of a glimpse of that consciousness. Somehow, these flames are meant to remind us of those 36 hours. So that's an interesting understanding of the number 36. Now, the Talmud and our sages actually tell us more about this number 36. Our sages teach us a very fascinating concept that connects to the number 36. And that is that they're hidden in each generation, 36 righteous people. And it is in the merit of these 36 righteous people that the world stands, that the world goes on. And often these 36 righteous people, they're called hidden sadikim, hidden righteous people, because they aren't necessarily the ones that are going to make the front page, you know, there are certain, obviously, you know, we know that each, every generation has certain spiritual personalities that everybody knows about, you know, they're, they're aware and people go and ask them questions and try to benefit from them. Um, but those aren't necessarily the 36. The reason that they're hidden is because we don't know. We never really know who these 36 are. It could be that someone is famous as being a world spiritual leader. And you know what? Maybe that's their role and that's the, the presentation that they have, but it isn't necessarily their inner world. It isn't necessarily in their merit. And there could be others who are not well known, who are not famous, um, but yet it is their righteousness not necessarily because they sit all day and pray to God all day or study Torah or, you know, whatever you might think would be the persona of a righteous person. It could just be because this person is very, very meticulous in the kindness that they do. It could be that they go above and beyond in ways that nobody knows and nobody sees. They give charity. Uh, and people, not just because they want their names up on, you know, in, in, in their synagogue, or, but, but in, in some sort of hidden way. So we, we never know. We don't know who the identity of these righteous people, these tzaddikim are. So they're called the, the 36th. They're called hidden tzaddikim. So once again, we see this number 36 and uh, our sages connect them and say th that the same way that Adam and Eve existed in the Garden of Eden, um, for these 36 hours, the number 36 represents that higher consciousness. It represents that righteous person. And when we come to the Hanukkah menorah, once again, we're trying to look at the menorah and think about these flames as sort of being that, that point 
that point of purity, that point of consciousness, that point of righteousness. How does this relate to us? How does this relate to us? Because if we take a look at the world as a whole, so we'll say, okay, you know what? Most of us, right, we all struggle and we're strugglers by nature and sometimes we're good and sometimes we're bad. But somewhere out there, there are these, you know, 36 people that exist and what does it have to do with me? And maybe sometime in history, there were these 36 hours of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, but what does that really have to do with me? Now we know that everything that we study that ha- that exists in the external world is existing inside of us as well. So that means when we hear about the 36 lights of the 36 hours of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden or the 36 hidden tzaddikim, that's meant to teach us that deep down inside of us, there's also that point. There's also that spark. There is a, a, a hidden tzaddik, so to speak, a hidden righteous person inside of us. There's a place inside of us that can also access that consciousness of those 36 hours. And many, many of our holy texts speak about this, that no matter no matter how much you think that you've struggled, no matter how much you think you have messed up, there's always a part of you that is untouchable. We say it every single morning. Elokai, neshama shenasatabi, the soul that you've given me to Horahi is pure. There's an untouchable holiness that is inside of us that no matter how far we fall down is untouchably pure, untouchably holy. And that's represented very much by these 36 lights of the menorah. We are, in a sense, the hidden tzaddikim, the hidden righteous people, because we have a hidden righteousness inside of us that is represented by the lights of the menorah. Rabbi Nachman of Breslov would say, look, keep on looking, try to find the spark in a person, because if you, you say, I'm looking, I'm looking, I can't find it, a little bit more, you'll be able to move beyond what you view as being unholy, and you'll be able to find that hidden spark, that hidden tzaddik that is inside. The lights of the menorah, Hanukkah, as a holiday, happens really at the darkest time of the year. You know, we know right outside, if you're here, if you're in, in, in the United States, thank God we have listeners all across the world. It's so interesting to see where people are tuning in from. Um, and if you're tuning in from someplace exotic, please send me an email. It's always fun to get emails from all sorts of places of people that are listening to the podcast or reading the book. It's really, really fun. So um, I encourage all the listeners um, to reach out, but especially if you're tuning in from someplace that that, that is cool or that you think is cool. You know, maybe you're in New Jersey. That's pretty cool. Um, But any exotic place that you find yourself. So, but if you're here uh, in the U.S., especially if you're with me over here on the East Coast, it's already starting to get a little chilly. And the days are getting shorter and darker. And again, that we know that the seasons play a major role in our spiritual service and spiritual focus as well. There are a lot of holidays that happen in the spring and in the summertime. Um, most of the of the Jewish holidays, beginning right Passover, Shavuot, are all in the springtime. And then when we get to Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, Sukkot, it's still the weather's beautiful, the days are still light. And then after Sukkot, slowly the world starts getting darker and colder. 
And that is symbolic of the fact that within our spirituality as well, time works like that, that we have times that are very bright and that we're very inspired. And then there are times in our life that are very dark and cold when we're, when we're thirsty, when we're yearning for spirituality, but we feel very empty. We can't get into the groove. We can't get into our spiritual jam and we're, and we're, we're, we're struggling, we're struggling. And not, it's, it's not to say that it necessarily has to be on track with the seasons. I will always be inspired in the summer and I will never be inspired in the winter. It's not, it's not necessarily true. Our own spiritual calendar works in its own way, depending on you know our, our life and, and our mission in this world. However, when we speak more generally, one can certainly see that right around the holidays time, which is now we're several weeks out of that whole Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, Sukkot vibe, right? But one could see that, yeah, I was really inspired two months ago. And now, you know, it's like the high holidays seem very far behind me and Passover seems a long, long way ahead. And I'm kind of here in, in no man's land in, in terms of Jewish holidays. So one could see that now this time of year would be a difficult time um, spiritually. Not only that, it's a difficult time emotionally. You know, we know that November, December is definitely a time when the mortality rate goes up. You know, people do get depressed during this time. And often that, you know, leads to, it can lead to more tragic consequences. So overall, we look at this time of year as possibly being a time that a person might find themselves in that struggle. It is no coincidence that, again, for us, as it is somewhat of a dry time when it comes to holidays, in terms of the secular calendar, the secular calendar is full of holidays during this time. We're going to have, you know, we, we know all of the different, especially if you're if you're in America, right? This is, we're entering into holiday season. It comes in earlier every single year. We see it in the shopping and in the ads and in the advertising. Now, one can say that that has nothing much to do with us. Um, I think that it's worthwhile noting, we can't get into this too much now, but it's interesting to note that many of the pagan holidays were also around this time. And again, if we learn a little bit about history, we know that that in that it, when Christianity was was rising and becoming you know the this world um, power, we know that that they were trying to, get many of the people from pagan cultures to adopt, to leave their pagan paganism and join this movement, this religious movement. And therefore, there were many pagan themes that were also somewhat incorporated into some of the holidays as well. So again, not the time and place to do that. But the reason that I bring this up is to show that, again, from a spiritual perspective, the fact that this is holiday season, and if we actually look into, you know, some of the holidays, listen, I mean, we're a day or two after, you know, Halloween, and it isn't hard to see it there. But with the various different holidays, we know that there is um, there are definitely certain symbolisms that are woven into the holiday culture that if we dis really discover their roots, we find that their roots are not so holy. So one can see this time of year as being a time of spiritual darkness. And therefore, when the menorah comes and we light those, that we light the kanza of the menorah, what the can the message of the candles, what the candles are supposed to be speaking and whispering to us is, don't worry, even in the darkness, 
even in the cold, even when you're feeling spiritually empty, even when you're feeling far, you should know that there is a light inside of you that cannot be extinguished. There is a hidden tzaddik inside of you, a hidden righteous person. There is a hidden level of consciousness inside of you that's like the 36 hours of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden that you can touch. There's a neshama, there's a soul inside of you that is always pure. You messed up again and again and again and again. You think that you're down, you think that you're out, you think that 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 you, you, you stand in shame in front of God. Right? I promise you, says the menorah, I promise you, you're okay, you're holy, you're pure, you're beautiful. So when we see this term kisli, the covered over 36, what's being hinted to us is that the 36 lights of the menorah are reminding us of the hidden tzaddik that is inside of us. If we take a look, now returning back to, let's first talk about the tribe of the month, which is the tribe of Benjamin, Benjamin. So the tribe of Benjamin, Binyamin was actually referred to one of the only people that the Talmud says Benjamin did not sin in his lifetime. That means of all the 12 tribes, Binyamin, there was something unique and special about him. Now remember what I said earlier, we don't hear about him that much. And that's because his life was different. His life trajectory, his life mission was to be a little bit more hidden from the world compared to the other tribes, the other brothers. But yet because of that, he was able to remain clean from sin. Once again, representing this fact that there is a part of us, there is a tzaddik, there is that righteous person inside of us that does not sin or that sin cannot touch. We say that during that for each month we should look at what happened in the Torah, the events of the Torah during during that time. So during the time of Kislev in the Torah, that's when the tabernacle, the construction of the tabernacle was completed. It was not put up until later on the month of Nisan, but it was completed during this time. So we see that there is a focus during the month of Kislev on it being a temple holiday. In fact, the, a temple month rather, the holiday of Hanukkah is the only holiday that celebrates an event that happened in the temple. Now, if we think about what is this temple? What is the Mishkan, the tabernacle, or the Beit HaMikdash, the temple? This was a place, a physical space that somehow or another, this was the place where heaven met earth. In a world full of darkness, in a world, in, in a very, very physical place, somehow this was an oasis of spirituality that, ra- that, 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 that was somehow above and beyond, greater than any other space in the world. This place that you can feel, that you can be aware of God. So once again, that fits in beautifully to our theme that even in our body, we know that it says that a person is compared to a temple, right? And, 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 and all of the different aspects of ourselves are like the temple, not for now. But at least the same message that within this darkness, the space of our physical body that struggles, that sins, that falls, there is a temple. There is this holy place. There is this holy tzaddik. The letter of the month is the letter Samach. If you know the Samach, the Samach is one of the only letters that is completely closed on all sides because it symbolizes protection, this part of us that is protected. And in fact, Samach, the word, the the letter is called Samach, but the word Somech is like what we say in Ashrei, Somech Hashem L'cholanoflim. Hashem supports all those who have fallen. You feel down, you feel down on yourself, you feel down in your life, reach out to God. And now we get to the symbol of the Sagittarius, the symbol of the bow and arrow. 
And we know that in the Torah and in mysticism as well, the bow and arrow is the weapon that's meant to represent conversation with God. When Jacob, Jacob refers to his sword and his bow. And the commentaries say that the sword represents a prayer from the Siddur, text of prayer that has been given to us to recite because it cuts down all of the blockage. But the bow and arrow, the bow represents words that come from the heart. Once we use the text of prayer to cut down all the blockage, now we have beautiful free-flowing conversation with God. Hashem, I love you. Hashem, this is what's going on. Hashem, help me. Hashem, I, I, I miss being close to you. And very often when we're feeling cold and we're feeling dark and we're feeling all the darkness and we cannot properly connect, we try to open up our prayer book and nothing goes, we just don't feel it. Sometimes it's best to say a little bit less and try to feel a little bit more, to use our own language. And during those dark and cold times, to use our own language and really speak from the heart, really learn how to yearn for Hashem to open up that relationship in that very beautiful way. So to wrap this all up, we see, again, we, we, we showed that that first aspect, all the way back in the beginning of this talk, we, we showed the first implication of Kislev is that it's a month of confidence, the Maccabees and the tribe of Benjamin and, 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 and the bow, and it is, it shows all that. But it's not a confidence that just comes natural. It's a confidence that we work hard on. It's a confidence that we're challenged and it comes during dark times, during times when things are difficult and we have to find that inner light. We have to find that resilience. Kislev is the covered over 36 lights, that covered over expanded consciousness that we all have, that hidden inner tzaddik that's a part of us, that soul, neshama shenasath God, the soul that you've given me, tahorahi. And when things get dark and when things get difficult and we're not finding ourselves in a spiritual groove and we say, Hashem, I'm not performing mitzvot the best way. I can't pray the best way, but I can always yearn. I can always find that place inside of us. There's something so beautiful, so holy and so pure about that. And that is the inner light that we can access during this month of Kislev. If we tap into it, if we start being real and try to detect it inside of ourselves and speak to God like the bow and arrow, speak to God in our own language and really pierce the heavens with our prayer and with our holy words. Thank you so much for listening. I hope that you'll subscribe to the podcast and you can always go to rabbishlomo.com for more great content and resources and to connect directly with me.